25 and go through 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In our series during this season of Lent, we're going to be looking at some of the final sayings of Christ while he was on the cross. And so today we examine this piece of what he said to his mother and to the disciple whom he loved, which is the disciple of John. And this is why we had our video uh, showing you different people's definition of what a mother or a father is or what a son or a daughter is. And as you can tell, people have a lot of different definitions, but also there's kind of an underlying theme there of nurture and love that we picked out of that. You see, my example of a father, of course, comes from my dad. My dad, he did work a lot. He was a salesman, a traveling salesman, pharmaceutical sales. So he was always on the road visiting independent pharmacies, his customers, checking on them, making orders and calls. And so he, his entire territory was the state of Mississippi, and he had some pharmacies in Louisiana, Arkansas. So he would travel a lot, and then he'd stay some nights away from home. So he just worked. Dad worked. All right, that's what I remember. But other things that I remember, too, is that Dad still made time to coach my Little League teams. You know, he loved to coach, and he loved to coach Little League teams. Even when they started this thing for baseball called All-Stars, where you get to select certain kids that could play on in these extra games, and he hated that because regardless, you're going to make somebody's parent mad that their kid didn't get picked for All-Stars. He hated that time of the year. He never picked me to be on the All-Star team because he didn't ever want to see any favoritism. But my dad would make time to coach my Little League team, so I do remember that about him. And as I got older, he kind of became my unofficial mover and helped me move many times. And so I'm sure that's kind of the progression of dads. Anyway, as their kids get older, they help them move places. And so that kind of shaped me that a dad is somebody who is a hard worker but is present and helpful in their child's life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Jesus, his relationship with his mother and this disciple and why he felt the need to tell John to take in his mother and what, what that means for us. To understand this, you have to go back and look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament has a lot of passages in there that if you read it, you'll realize Jesus referenced those passages and those pieces of Scripture. And here we're seeing one of the Ten Commandments actually lived out. You know, we preached on the Ten Commandments a little while back. But what they are is basically a set of rules and guidelines for God's people and how to live. But it's also an agreement, a covenant, that if you live by these, you'll have a prosperous life. God will, will protect and take care of you with you living out these Ten Commandments. And the first four commandments deal with your relationship with God. You know, as it says, don't have any other gods before him. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Those are ways you interact with God. But then the last six of those all deal with your relationship with others, God's creation. 
And so the fifth commandment instructs his people to honor your father, honor your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this commandment is often used for little kids to say, hey, obey mom and dad, do your chores, be nice, go to bed on time, okay, sure. But it's also for the adult children, okay, and this is what it's really intended to, for the adult children who have aging parents. You see, in Jesus' day, there was no type of systems or institutions that can care for the elderly, There was no social security administration. I don't think the Roman government really cared for that. So there's no direct payments to older people so they can financially provide for themselves. There was no nursing homes or independent living centers or a place you can put your parents that you know that would be taken care of. The responsibility of the elderly came to the younger family members. And when the elderly were not cared for, that would disrupt society. And so God has it as a commandment for his people to honor your mother and your father. And that means to take care of them, especially as they age. Bring them into your home. Make sure they are fed and taken care of. That if they're sick, you get them taken care of. All of that. So that was God's instruction to his people so society can be in harmony. And so when we get to that point, and we fast forward to Jesus here on the cross, he's there dying. Every last word, every last breath would be painful on the cross. So you would think Jesus would choose his words wisely. As he was speaking there, as the witnesses were watching, that everything he said had a purpose, had a lesson for us today, had a practical purpose of that time. And Jesus did have siblings younger siblings that could have cared for his mother, Mary. You can imagine how painful that would have been for Mary to be there at the cross watching her son be crucified. It is the worst thing that any parent could ever imagine having to go through, knowing that he's in intense pain and he will be dead soon. But what Jesus is showing us when he tells the disciple which whom he loved, which we believe that to be the disciple of John, who's there witnessing Christ on the cross, go, this is your mother, and Mary, this is your son. Jesus picked somebody who was not biologically related to his mother to take care of her. And Scripture says that's exactly what he did. It said from that hour... And the disciple took her into his own home where Mary would live with John for the rest of her life. That's what happened. And John lived a long life. It's believed he's the only disciple that would have died a natural death. And so maybe Jesus knew that John was going to be around for a while. And this is the disciple he picked. But also there's another reason for this. And it's for you and I to see this. For you and I to see that Jesus would dictate a non-blood relative to take care of his mother is to show us that we as Christians, yes, we care for our own family, we take care of our children, we take care of our aging parents, but we also take care of each other. Those outside of our biological 
network of people that we live with. That we take care of those within the body of Christ. That we provide for them when they are in need. When they have no family, we become their family. You know, when we have our altar out here during Lent, we add pieces to the altar that symbolize the scripture passage. And so today we pick the baptismal bowl and pitcher. There's a reason. When you are baptized, many things happen. But one thing that happens when you are baptized is that you are brought into your church family. Baptisms are supposed to be done in public with church family present because you are being brought into a church family who takes care of each other. When we baptize a child, we are saying to that child, we are here to help you grow in your faith. We are here to love you. We are here to mold you and be a part of your life. We are here to love you. To love you. And so the thing that God is telling us here and what we are seeing played out on the cross is Jesus telling us, hey, church family, don't only just love those within your biological household, you've got to love others as well. When you go back to when he said the greatest commandments are, first, love your God, second, love your neighbor, which all the prophets and the law hang on. And it goes back to the Ten Commandments where the first four commandments say love God. The last six commandments says love others. This is what we are seeing played out right here on the cross. This is what Jesus chooses to use his precious final breaths of life on this earth to tell us. It is that, it's that important. And you know, the pandemic has been awful. But during that time period, I did see Moments where the body of Christ came together and loved on each other. It was through phone calls to those that were shut in, to those they know that were not going to be able to get out. They checked in on them. It was those front porch visits with food. When you're dropping off food and someone's having the quarantine and can't get out, or you know they need a nice casserole. Or as those that lost loved ones in the pandemic and couldn't have a proper funeral to bury their loved ones, they would check in on them. There were moments in the pandemic where I saw that the body of Christ loved on each other and loved on those in the community. People would drive around and drop off baskets of goodies. Somebody dropped by our house as a basket of goodies and a roll of toilet paper. Remember those moments? And so we as the body of Christ are called to love on each other. And in the pandemic, I believe we saw moments of that. And I'm, and I'm prayerful that those moments will stick, that we will pull it together and support one another in those moments of need. And so when we look at the final sayings of Jesus Christ, he is boldly telling us that we are to go out and love our neighbors. We are to go out and to serve our brothers and sisters in need. We are to give up of our time. We are to give up of our resources. And we are to step in as Christ would step in in those moments. I'm sure John probably had a struggle a little bit of bringing in Jesus' mom to take care of her. But that was a big weight on his shoulders. 
but he did it. He didn't question it. And he did it the rest of his life. And that should say something to us that when we go out and we serve and love others, it's not just a simple half thought, you go all in. We are to go all in in our love of our neighbors. And sometimes that is tough. Sometimes that's tough as the church because we have these groups of people that sometimes we don't want to check on. We have these groups of people that sometimes it is a challenge. And we also say, you know, it doesn't fit my schedule. You know, it doesn't fit the timeline right now. We've got a trip to go on. I can't go do that. Or no, I'm saving up for this retirement lifestyle that I want. And so I'm not going to give to this need right now. Sometimes it takes sacrifice for us to love each other and to love those that we don't really care to even acknowledge. And that's tough. That's tough. Especially when we live in a world that at times it seems so divisive and so divided. That you're either on the right or on the left. You can't be in the center. You have to choose a side and not like the other side. And that's tough. As a calling of a Christian, you're to stand above all of that. You're to stand above all of that and go and serve and love and give your all 100%. Remember the rich young ruler asked a very important question. What would it take to have eternal life? Which is a pretty fair question if you get one to ask Jesus. And the response was, sell all that you got, give to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away sad. But you know, that would be tough for Jesus to say, hey, all that you've worked for, all the good things that you've done for your family, I'm calling you though now to sacrifice that for others, to give it open-ended to others that would be hard and yeah there may be some sadness but you know I'm hopeful that the rest of that story played out with the rich young ruler I'm hopeful that he did it I'm hopeful that he did go home and evaluated his possessions and evaluated his blessings and said you know what there are others out there that need this more And I'm hopeful he did it. Just as I am hopeful that as we hear these words of Christ telling John to take care of his mother, to bring her in, I am hopeful that you and I, when we have those moments of God telling us, hey, you need to go give your 100% in this cause, or you need to go and give all of this to this, that we will follow through, that we will do this because it's so incredibly important. While it still will be hard, while that may make us sad, but we are called to love each other. You know, there's this thing in Wesleyan theology called striving for perfection, going towards perfection. And we've had a lot of interesting discussions on staff or at church during a staff meeting, is that actually possible to go on and strive for perfection? 
And I even struggled with that as well, because who can be perfect, right? But there is in Wesleyan theology the belief you can strive and obtain perfection. But you have to understand what perfection is. It's not that you're not going to make a mistake. Okay, we all make mistakes. But what perfection is, is perfection or perfect love of the heart. It's having perfect love for God and perfect love for others. And perfect love is a love that sees the world as God does. And that love spurs you into action. It changes you inside and out. And as you strive for perfection, as you put in more perfect love in your heart, it pushes out all the negativity. It pushes out the desire to sin. It pushes out imperfection as you are becoming perfected in love. See, as we live this life, living out God's calling and God's commandments for us, what that does, it helps us to strive towards perfection each and every day. That perfect love where you're filling your heart up with love, with God's grace, pushing out the negative, pushing out the desire to sin. And so in Wesleyan theology, they believe you can strive for perfection. And sometimes you're even lucky enough to obtain it. And y'all, that changes you. I know we all have seen those individuals in our life and have those individuals in our life that are almost like the perfect Christian role model. Like you probably think, oh no, that person would never, ever say a bad word. I would be surprised if they did. For me, it was my economics teacher growing up. And then later he became, when I started teaching school, he was a coworker of mine. And he is just a saint. He is a saint. And I'm like, you know what? If everybody could be like this guy right here, we'd have no problems in this world. But what it is, and I notice that when you're around individuals that are like that, they're living out this calling of perfect love, that they truly love others. They truly put others before themselves and they have a heart of service. They have that heart that we all want to attain ourselves. And you know what? We have that ability and we have that calling. We have that mission to go out And to love others, but also to make more disciples of Jesus Christ. To lead them to do the same as well. And that can be tough. But that's what we are all charged to do. You know, there's a saying, I'm going to probably get it wrong, on one of those Christian radio stations. You know, it talks about how if If you don't have any nice people around you in your life, why don't you be that nice person to those around you? And so it all starts with you. All of Scripture, what it is directing and guiding us for, it is a mirror for us to look at. God is speaking to us, and so we use Scripture to reflect on our lives, to help perfect our hearts so we can be that individual in someone's life that needs that Christian example, that needs someone to love them, that needs someone just to listen to them as they're having a bad day, as that person that needs you just to show up at their house and just sit with them as they grieve when they've lost a loved one. Your presence 
speaks volumes. And when you're there out of love, people will know. People will know. And so when you go back to this idea of what is a mother, what is a father, what is a son, what is a daughter, when you circle back to all of that, it is someone in your life, biological or not, who has loved you. Who has loved you. And it's also someone that you have loved back. And so as we journey through this week, as we go through this season of Lent, may we reflect upon some of these final sayings of Christ and what it means to be a family, not just a biological family, but a church family. And knowing that what we are called to do in this life and as to love God and to love others. Let us pray.